Between the Gigs, a podcast about the lives of musicians, conversations about creativity and careers and gig stories. And today I interview Janet Robin and Brian Raddick. We talk about our tour with Soul Doctor. Hey, speaking of gigs, come to the Pangea Jazz Festival on August 23rd at 7 p.m. on the Lower East Side. It's going to be super fun. It's super chill. It's the debut performance of the Wes Anderson Jazz Project, a project where we interpret the music of, uh, well, lots of people, but music that was featured in uh, Wes Anderson films. Music such as David Bowie, Nick Drake, The Velvet Underground. All right, it's going to be great. Uh, Enjoy the show. Right, and we're live. This is episode three of my podcast, which now I have a name for, actually. I'm calling it Between the Gigs. Ooh, I like that. Isn't that nice? I like that. It's like... That's kind of like the story of our lives, isn't it? It it is. It's most of our lives is between between the gigs. That's true. Um, So my guest today, I have two fantastic guests. Uh, My first one, let's see, is uh, Janet Robin, who's on us on with via Skype. Hi, Janet. I greetings from Los Angeles. Yes, that's right. That's where you are. That's <laughs> where you are. Um, and, uh, you know, Janet was the guitar player uh, at Soul Doctor, the show that we all toured with that we're going to talk about today. And uh, just, to, just to hype you up a little bit, Janet uh, was a, a student of Randy Rhodes and was also in the, uh, Lindsey Buckingham's band and, and toured with Air Supply and uh, she tours all over the world under her own name doing uh, a solo project and also runs this really cool band called String Revolution that is uh, a bunch of really sick guitar players that do, um, I guess, mostly covers of songs. Is that right, Janet? Actually, we do mostly originals, but we have we do have some covers. And because of the arrangements, we've gotten a little, little more attention on the covers, which is fine ah, with me. Cool. <laughs> cool. Um, do you, do you mostly write the songs for the group or does everybody contribute? It's a democratic thing. We all write together and, and, um, yeah. Yay democracy. Thanks for the out. Appreciate it. Yeah. And my second guest is Brian Radrock, who, uh, wait, did I say that wrong? No, it was Radek, but there's, I like the second R in there. I like Rad Rock. I I like Rad Rock better. It should be my DJ name right there. I think it should just be your name. (laughs) Um, but Brian was the uh, drummer on the Broadway show The Illusionist. He performs frequently all over town uh, in New York City at Carnegie Hall at, with various freelance groups, theater projects, um, orchestra works. He's a really terrific timpani player. He plays every instrument in the percussion arsenal. <laughs> um and he's a as, super. As does his mother. As does his yeah. mother. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to? I. So you are also from a musical family. Oh yeah. Um. So basically, my my mom was a like studio percussionist in Orlando, like working at Disney originally, and she um, was the percussionist on Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid, the soundtracks and everything. And right. She was pregnant with me during that time. So yeah. <laughs> that's funny. And it's really interesting to me that at that time, I guess Disney did all their recordings in Orlando because yeah. that's where, um, you know, 
Disney World was, I guess. Yeah, it, they were doing everything in-house because the animation yeah. studio was down there in Orlando. Yeah. And um, they were just hiring people to come in, and under lock and key, they would have them record these because they didn't want someone to take the music home, so you had to be like a sight-reading like beast wow. to be able to do it. That's super cool. Yeah. So, and um, my stepdad, Danny Gottlieb, toured with uh, Pat Metheny for a long time at the yeah. beginning of his like career, and they're still doing it at this point, um, playing around the world, and I can't even keep up with them. I, mean, <laughs> I can't keep up with myself, so. <laughs> That's because you're rad. Ah, yeah. there it is. So rad. Too rad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, so about a year ago, in fact, almost exactly a year ago, mm-hmm. give or take, give a few months. Okay, not really exactly a year ago, but around a year ago, the three of us embarked on the adventure that would become the Soul Doctor Tour. And um, what Soul Doctor is, is it's a musical based on the life of Shlomo Karlbach, the rocking rabbi, um, as I call him. Uh, and uh, this... This production was probably like the third or fourth incarnation of this show that these two producers uh danny wise and jeremy chess have been trying to like pull off for years and i say pull off because it's it's like a scam that they're trying to pull off Mm -hmm. but um uh i think their intentions are good in some ways to tell the story it's weird right because shlomo karlbach is this person who's like basically a saint uh you know according to his mythology like he uh would give selflessly he never asked for royalty on any of his records or anything like that and here the people most passionate about telling his story are these like two crooked broadway producers it's just kind of funny i think that you know they're they were just disorganized in implementation of you know running the the full a full-on broadway show i i do think their intentions were good but they they had trouble implementing it all and unfortunately we got the brunt of it yeah i think that's true i think but there's something about the i mean this is not their first try at this i mean these two have been in in the industry for a long time and like you know both i'm being too diplomatic yeah maybe (laughs) i don't know i think you're coming from the right i think that there is some positivity buried somewhere (laughs) you know i i had been warned like a few different times from people that would worked on past things as i was telling you guys during the time that um you know really watch yourself and like you never know what can happen with these people and uh, yeah there were times that i was like I, i don't know if it could be as bad as i i'm being told to expect but it kind of ended i I hated that they were right, but they were. Mm. I'm, um, yeah, my, my buddy Keith that worked on this production on a different one, I think he did the Broadway run. Yeah. Um, and they kind of did pretty much the same type of thing to him that happened to this whole production. So, you know, I, I thought if that had happened before, there's no way it could happen again. There's right. no way they're going to yeah. just keep with that like reputation. But here, here we are. Yeah, I, I mean that's the music business. I, right. Yeah, I had I that. I mean, I got it. I got an inkling of that when I first talked to uh, Danny. I wasn't sure 
you know, he wasn't clear about a lot of things. But when I talked to Bill and a few other people, I was like, oh, okay, I mean, it sounds kind of like it's, you know, together. And I got referred by somebody I really respect. Right. And yeah, me too, she, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She knew uh, Danny and had worked on something with him before, I guess. And so, I mean, I went, I went for it, you know? <laughs> and, and just to say, like, you know, everybody that was working on the actual production of this thing, they, like, I met were, so many great friends and oh, yeah. had some great, like, I, I mean, people all so know talented. for the rest of my yeah. life. Yeah. yeah. The hey. crew itself, yeah. Yeah, the, I mean... The, the cast, the crew, the like director, choreographer, everybody, um, everybody yeah. was just such a pleasant person to work with. Yeah. And that is kind of what made like the falling out of all of this hurt a little bit more because right. it was such a great product we were starting to put together. Here. Yeah. Well, they had gotten this great group of talented people together, crew and cast, and then it just all blew up, you know, which is just so disappointing. Yeah. Well, let's let's start at the beginning for people that don't know what we're talking about. So I want to take us back to sort of like your initial call for this gig, like how you were introduced to Soul Doctor and, you know, what your sort of first impressions of what this project was going to be like. Um, Why don't we start with Brian? Well, I I was approached by like by um, Bill Mead from like who was our company manager and for a time yeah for a time like <laughs> question about how long that w- like was or wasn't happening right but um he had hired me on some other things and uh he basically was saying this is going to be something that we're going to be it's going to be really special because you're going to have a lot of input into how this thing gets developed because we're going to take a long time to really do this the right way and I want someone that can be a drummer and a percussionist, be able to play some mallet stuff on it, some hand drum stuff on it, some drum set, and it's all going to be on stage, and we're going to be doing an international tour. So I'm to have my name on something as like kind of a, a co-writer like in the drum department and everything, um, along with the potential of okay this is what the initial run is going to look like but we're really intending to bring this thing to broadway and do a lot with this so i mean i had a lot of other things going on and a couple other international tours that i really had to sit with and decide which one i'm going to pick and this is the one i wanted to do because how much of a say and influence i could have over Mm. what the parts were along with just seeing the incredible talent already attached to this. So, you know, this is why I jumped on board and everything. What was it like for you, Janet? Well, it was a similar situation, although I was approached by Danny. And uh, again, um, the referral came from a very good person I I really uh, respect. And Mm -hmm. when he first talked to me, it sounded, you know, I just got the New York thing. And then, you know, (laughs) over here on the, you know, West Coast, we're like, we're always weary of that. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> must be the accent, you know. I'm gonna yeah. sell you a car. Do a good deal here, you know. Yeah. Um. But no, he was I like mean, a used car salesman. You know. Yeah. He he did sound rather genuine. Um. But in in some ways, you know. And uh, it was the same thing, you know. Um. 
this is going to be a really special production. And it was very intriguing to me because, uh, you know, normally um, when you're asked to be, you know, musician in a, in a musical, you're, you're in the pit. And I, I honestly, because I come from a, you know, rock background, I'm not a, some kind of great reader. I'm not a, I don't, there is no first chair electric guitar for me. You know, it's like, I, I am the chair, you know, <laughs> it's, right. it's, I don't need, I don't know what that is, you know? So, and I told him, I said, listen, you know, I'm, I'm a rock musician. You know, I just go on tour with people or I do my own thing, you know, and I don't read a ton of music. He's like, that isn't what this is. You know, you're going to be on stage. It's going to be like a rock band on stage. We want that. And then for you, it's going to be even more special because you're going to have a part and I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. You know? <laughs> um, and he's like, no, it's it's real little part, not a lot of lines, and you get to teach guitar. And I was like, oh, well, I already do that too, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and um, he's like, it's funny, and you'll have a good time, and it's not a big orchestra type of thing, sure. um, you know. And I was like, well, this sounds great, you know. Yeah. Like Brian, um, I had other things uh, planned. Um touring wise and other things I, I had to move around to make this work because, yeah. and then of course I'm also uh, living in Los Angeles and, and everything, right. you know, in the beginning was going to be in New York. So, <clears throat> you know, I had to move out there. Yeah. I had to, I had to really seriously consider, you know, dropping everything here and moving out there for an entire month yeah. or long. You know, I didn't quite know exactly how long it was going to be, but so I did because it sounded so intriguing to me. It sounded like it sounded like, you know, a Jewish hair. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, and I was like, wow, I want to be a part of this. You know, this is cool. And yeah. the stress of being this, you know, uh, you know, orchestra orchestral guitarist was off uh, because I made that really clear that that's not what I do. And he's like, no, that's we want, you know, what you do. And you're going to have actually a solo you know, in the show and you can do your own thing and this and that. And I was like, okay, yeah. sign up, you know? Right. Yeah. And the, also the intrigue for me that this was a, like the story itself is based around music being a great unifier. Yeah, and sure. It's really, message is, yeah, it's a, a huge message. message that music is something that can unite all sorts of people. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a special part of the show that yeah. I wanted to really tap into. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm actually Jewish, and I had never heard of Shlomo. Wait, so. you're Jewish? No, I'm what? kidding. Everybody on the show is Jewish, Janet. <laughs> That's not true. Well, no, it's not. But a lot of, yeah. That's actually not true. A lot of the cast wasn't. Yeah, I, I suppose. Right? I suppose. Yeah. I, I guess it, it was, it was for me, like, um, I'm going to talk about my, uh, how I, I got, know. oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I never heard of Shlomo. I don't, I'd never. Right. No, I hadn't either. He's an odd choice for uh, like a protagonist in terms of a co commercial viability, but right. um, I thought that was interesting though too. Yeah, and I, I was like, okay, this interesting story. Yeah, you know? yeah, um, yeah. Well, my uh, intro to this um, at the time, I was like really trying to hustle to get a, a subbing gig on Broadway, and I had been doing the thing that. Uh, young musicians do where you go to orchestras and you watch the players play the book and then afterwards you have a beer with them and you try to see if they'll let you sub for them or something and uh, I had been doing that for a while and one of the shows I went to see was Groundhog Day and um, the bass player there is this great bass player named Brian Hamm 
and I went to Groundhog Day, and he said he was full of subs, and I said, cool. And then a couple of weeks later, I got an email from Rick Fox saying that Brian had recommended me for this gig. And so, again, like that uh, recommendation lent some legitimacy to what I thought this was going to be. And they said we were going on this international tour where first we're going to San Diego, then Los Angeles, and then Israel. And... Um, like, I was super excited. It, it seemed like such a big deal to me. And, um, you know, that was, I, I agreed pretty, pretty, um, pretty quick. Um, <laughs> you know, there were some things I had to move around as well, but not other major tours. So um, it was kind of a no brainer for me at the time. Um, so then uh, rehearsals start, and um, we are uh, rehearsing in the basement of this. Uh, synagogue in in Midtown, right next to the Hammerstein Ballroom, um, and we get there the first day, and like it's it's actually next to Sam Ash, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> to, to be all right, fine. I get, that's not as cool sounding, but sure. <laughs> yeah, it was next to a Sam Ash, and the Sam Ash was next to the ballroom. I I think it, right. was, it was on yeah. the same block. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, so we get there the first day and we, we meet everybody and like, um, right from the beginning, what was super cool about this is that, um, okay. So we were in rehearsals for eight hours a day for the first month. Um, and that is not typically the experience of musicians in a theater production. Like mm -hmm. typically they rehearse the actors with the pianist and then towards the end of the rehearsal schedule, they'll bring in the orchestra and the orchestra kind of, you know, just does a couple run throughs and then they're ready for the show. Um, but to be involved with the creative process from the beginning was, that was cool. amazing, right? That was that was super cool. Yeah. I, I actually, I'm at because of my background. That's what I'm actually more used to. Oh sure, okay. You know when you get ready for a big rock tour, yeah. you're, rehears you're rehearsing eight hours a day. You're wow, you're planning. I didn't realize that. Right? Yes. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. It makes sense. Yeah, and you're planning out every move and what you're doing in, in every song and the banter. In terms of like choreography. Well, in in a way, I mean, yeah. I did. I wasn't in Prince's band. I wasn't, you know, right. <laughs> right. But, doing dance moves but there there are choreography moments moments that you get together with certain people in the right. band you know there's banter you talk on stage when you don't talk you know this and that so yeah i mean all the major tours i've done it's it's like that mm. it's the same way yeah you know so i was like i was in my element i was like oh this is great yeah you know? <laughs> what was interesting on my end was that um there like we had a music copyist with us during that mm -hmm. whole process and you know normally when you're doing a theater show you go in and there's a already written book mm -hmm. and um for this one there really wasn't like there were yeah, a bunch of different all. maps of like keyboard charts and rick and i i uh, got to discuss a lot of what we wanted to do and you know and he um another big part that intrigued me is he wanted a lot of different percussion and some mallets and some drum set and my drum set by the way on this one they had me do a cocktail kit which was really cool and i never played a cocktail kit and um can you explain a what a cocktail kit is yeah so basically um if you think about a floor tom this was like about twice as tall it's like a a, a tom that's like a floor tom and that's about the size of like 
a 12 year old kid i mean it's a it's a tall tom and on the bottom there's a, a kick pedal so you can it hits the bottom head and on top it's your little floor tom there and then it branches out with some mounts to have like a snare drum and a little tom there and some cymbals and the the meaning behind it is to have the drummer like be able to stand up when they're playing so it added another element to us being on stage and not having the drummer being hidden behind a drum set yeah so i actually went ended up going out and getting a whole like cocktail kit to be able to do this oh, and everything wow. and um it was so cool that i we were just in very much creative mode to be able to say like you know this one would actually be really cool on hand drums. Let's let's try that. And yeah. actually, you know, let's maybe do a little bit of mallets there. And it was just like the whole pro like creative process of building this entire part up and everybody being so open to each other's ideas yeah. was something I absolutely loved at the beginning of this. Yeah. And Brian was literally building his drum set like, throughout <laughs> rehearsals it would just keep getting bigger and bigger and he'd have all these little hooks on it and stuff oh yeah <laughs> i mean cool. i had like a, a set of um a set of congas a set of bongos the cocktail kit a set of vibes um two different djembes a, an array of different like little percussion instruments and we kind i i kept bringing suitcases of different like percussion instruments like almost every day to rehearsal being like, what if we just add this thing on there? And I mean, my setup was so big, it made a U around me and I could like take a nap between them when we were on break or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was always <laughs> had like a little fort. Oh yeah. It was great. Um, yeah. So, uh, our director, Gabriel Barr, um, sort of, was he there the first week? I can't remember. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, well, um, I think he was in there for a few days, but yeah, because um, we were mostly doing music stuff at the beginning. Because a lot of the actors had to play instruments in the show, that was another uh, sort of selling point of the idea of this production. It was a little bit supposed to be like the show once, where the actors played instruments and the musicians acted a little bit. Um, so our first week was a lot helping the actors play their instruments. And actually, it, it really reminded me, I, t I texted my mom after the first week that it was like a little bit like being at a Jewish summer camp because <laughs> we would get there and we'd play our instruments. And then after after our nap and lunchtime, we would <laughs> practice. Uh, we would we would we went up and did that choir rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah. And then we would do choreography <laughs> with the dancers and like um, I, I don't think we got into any of our acting scenes until later, but. Uh, the three of us did act on stage, which was uh, really fun, actually. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, yeah, so we're in rehearsal. Oh, let me explain a little bit what the plot of Soul Doctor is so, so that you guys can understand. So it's all about this guy, Shlomo Karlbach, who is a Orthodox Jew from Vienna, um, his family emigrates to America during World War II, and he comes from a long line of rabbis. And he grows up and becomes a rabbi himself, but uh, he comes of age in the 60s, and at this time he decides that he doesn't want to be a rabbi who only helps people in his community. Um, so he moves out to San Francisco, and he founds the House of Love and Prayer. And... Uh, there he welcomes 
people of all faiths and sort of teaches them about Jewish principles and just gives people, young people, a chance to sort of find themselves and have a, a spiritual sort of um, community together. Um, and the play culminates with him returning to Vienna to sing some of the songs that he's wrote for the Viennese, who essentially, you know, assisted in killing his family and such. It's a story about forgiveness and the power of music. Um, there's also a, a subplot where um, he sort of falls in love with Nina Simone, but not really. They're friends, but they kiss, <laughs> and it's weird. <laughs> but um, uh, uh, is kind of known as like the hippie rabbi. Yeah, right. And and he's exploring lots of different styles of music, which right. was also unusual for a rabbi in right. general, especially an Orthodox rabbi. Yeah, and he gets yeah. a lot of heat for that. Right. Um. Now. Who who here had heard of Shlomo Karlbach beforehand? Nope, not not, not even. me. Not me. I was Set. like, what kind of name is Shlomo? That's a... oh, that's a great name. <laughs> I thought it was a fake name. That's funny. I was like, what's his real name? That's got to be a stage name. <laughs> well, I had to I had to look his name up honestly, and I mean, I I I was I've been bot misled in the whole deal. Right. That's okay. Okay. Yeah. So let's get into that. This is why as uh. A financial move it's a risky idea for a story because this guy is only famous within the orthodox jewish community to, basically to my understanding i mean like my hometown rabbi had heard about him like he had sent me an email when he found out that i was doing this show but my family didn't know who he was i had no idea who he was nobody else knew who he was and yeah. the Orthodox Jews who know who this guy is, I think for the most part, don't like him because he left the community. And right. they're very um, leery of that. Um, so in order to make this play marketable, it can't be just marketed to Jews. And that's exactly what they try to do every time that they've done this show. When it was on Broadway for two weeks or three weeks, however long it lasted there. Um, I heard that this was kind of the same problem. Like uh, it got a lot of rave reviews from like Jewish groups and papers and stuff, but they didn't sell tickets because they weren't trying to reach out to, you know, and sell this as just a story about, you know, the power of music and stuff like that. And from what I've heard, there was also like why they emphasize the Nina Simone part in, in real uh, life, apparently, they didn't have as many interactions, and yeah. they really like emphasized that they had a like deeper relationship than what I think was happening in real life. Right. Just so it had a broader appeal, so right. that they could like put Nina Simone's name on it, right. and then it's like, okay, oh, yeah. I like Nina Simone, and yeah. I'm, yeah, that's I, that's from what I've heard was why they really played into that more yeah and to be honest that's probably not a bad idea <laughs> right <laughs> and we got um this incredible israeli star esther rada to come play nina simone oh, she and was she was incredible amazing oh. such a great singer great performer and just wonderful person mm -hmm. yeah yeah I mean, everybody in this cast was just like mind-bogglingly good yeah. it was so awesome so let's start to talk about like what was your sort of first uh, signs that things were going wrong. <laughs> that 
well, things were going to head the way that they did. I remember the like. Let's talk we... about my apartment in Brooklyn. Okay. Oh let's talk about yes, that. yeah. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, you know, I I I can. I've stayed in all kinds of places, but you know, initially I was like, all right, it's going to be an apartment. Fine. I'm used to hotel rooms. You know, that's typically what happens. Right. But Danny wise, I guess, apparently owns a hotel, uh, excuse me, apartment building in Brooklyn. And, uh, it was described to me one way, but then when I showed up, it was like, okay, well the, you have to, there is heat, but it doesn't work so well. So you have to use (laughs) heaters you know and it's february um (laughs) and you can take as many heaters as you want you know and i was like okay well that's fine all right i'll do that and then blankets and of course you know i had to move from one place to another because it it just it it wasn't that comfortable but eventually eventually it, it worked out it's it's just that it wasn't exactly how it was explained to me to begin with you know So I was like, all right, sometimes people, you know, they uh, exaggerate housing, you know, and so I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to, you know, freeze to death. And and the oven works. The dishwasher didn't, but it's okay. You know, I'm I'm having a cool experience in Brooklyn. Right. Yeah. And um, and that's fine. Then the transportation, taking the subway, I got used to all that. I can pretty much eventually get used to anything. But. At, at the beginning, I was like, this is a little strange. It feels a little strange, you know, because it, it was like, you know, Danny owned the building. There was something weird. Yeah. I it can't go on enough about how many little things like that that, were, that happened while we were still in New York. Just little yeah. things that just felt like off, you know. I went with it. And I mean, our I'm still friends with our fantastic travel coordinator, uh, Diana. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah. And I mean, we like like you uh, and um, several of the other cast members. You know, we still stay in touch. Yeah. But Diana was great, and she, I think, she was led down the wrong path too. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's no about, question about a lot of a lot of information. But she was always so nice, trying to make sure is everything okay at the apartment? Are you all right? You know, and this and that. So I went with it, but that was the first initial thing. Yeah. That that I was like, all right, well, let's see where this goes, you know? Brian? Yes. For me, um, well, there was something that started to tip me off about uh, when we where our rehearsal location was for right. that month of February. <laughs> yeah, that's another it's one. Because, like, like, you know, um, when I found out, okay, we're going to be rehearsing, like, I think it was, like, sometimes six days a week. Yeah. Like, and it was in the basement of the synagogue, and – there were no windows. It w- there was so much dust down there that like, yeah. it's like they had been used in like two years or something. And I mean, there are a lot of different rules when it comes to like, um, like equity contracts for the actors and everything right. that they have to kind of adhere to. And, you know, there were times when I was like, okay, I can kind of, I guess maybe talk myself into if there was really a, if they were really going to be able to try and save this much money, then it must be going towards the actual tour itself. And, you know, but then there was, there were parts of that at the same time that was like, okay, you know, there are strict rules laid out for people in equity contracts. And 
if they're pretty much blatantly ignoring that, what else might they ignore in the future? And, you know, when it really started to be like, there's something weird here was when we found our, ironically, the housing out in. Ah, yeah. I was going to get to that. Oh, yeah. In San Diego (laughs) when we fly all the way out there and everything. And we're so excited. Just so pumped about this. Everyone, like the energy was palpable. and. They, we are brought to a like, Vintaggio Suites. Oh, that's what it was. That's <laughs> right. Oh, oh, I just got chills. The Vintaggio Suites. Uh, Luckily, I missed that whole episode. Oh yeah, because uh, yeah, you got uh, to that, stay. It was like so. Like the it was basically it was a hostel. Yeah, it was an international students' hostel. Yeah, and it it seemed like it used to be like a dorm for maybe a nearby university that yeah, they maybe. turned into a hostel. Yeah. And we're talking like there's no closet. There's just like a metal pipe above like, <laughs> no the kitchen. bed. No, no kitchens. Yeah. Also things that are in equity contracts. And some of the guys didn't even have like a window in their room. Right. And it was one of For those that like, I, think. I mean, I saw some of the equity things that were laid out and they didn't adhere to any of them. And it was just, wow, you could you possibly found an even lower budget place in san diego yeah and i it's the fact that like everybody was just kind of like um is this what we're gonna live in for the next four weeks yeah i i don't know if that's gonna happen and they like oh um, that was the beginning of the mutiny yeah in a way it seemed like, like for a second i was like giving the benefit of the doubt of like some oversight or something yeah. and like maybe they just didn't quite realize and I, they'll fix this pretty quickly, but I remember our producers at the top, which it always comes back to them. He's like, there were so many other people in the administrative part that were doing an amazing job and just trying to reassure right. us that they're doing what they can. Yeah. But it came down to like them almost being like upset that we were upset about that. And right. it's like, that's w- not a good way to build a relationship at the <laughs> beginning of what's supposed to be four months of being on the road, maybe more from what they were always saying. Yeah. So let me explain a few things. Um, so uh, for the for them to do a show like this, they needed to uh, hire equity actors, and those are professional actors who are in the union, um, and there are certain rules that they need to adhere to um, for They're standards basically of the, living. the SAG of the of, theater world. Of the theater yeah, world, yeah, exactly. The equity is now. That. For us, for the musicians, we agreed to do this non-union, which was definitely and one another one of those warning signs. Um, uh, our, the musicians' union is just not as strong as the actors' union, and unfortunately, um, we just don't have the kind of collective bargaining to like make sure that these jobs are union all the time. And if we had passed on them, probably someone else would have accepted them, and the money was pretty good, so we all decided to take the gig but um most of my gigs anyway are non-union oh yeah and even with like air supply or like those big sp- yeah, yeah none, of them, none of them go through you huh. none yeah yeah so i i i had to sign a contract a separate freelance contract mm. yeah so that's how i did it you yeah. know i negotiated my own terms and all of that yeah. so it was completely not union or anything this was going to be my big first like um theater tour right when it came to that and like i've done a lot of other tours with like uh bands and things that were international 
and normally like pretty much none of those are union and um a lot of times when you're doing like some of your initial like theater international tours there's a lot of times that they are non-union especially if it goes international this they don't really have any say over that and and there are a lot of tours out there that are non-union so it's not very much of a like uh, and yeah that wasn't a red red light to me right that that was just kind of like all right this is what it is and that's more of like yeah i guess a whole different conversation about the music industry as a whole (laughs) yeah that's a whole other podcast yeah that's that'll be episode four Yeah. yeah um yeah, so I think the the thing that we started to see over and over again is how much the producers would try to like skimp on things and save a penny and just how bad of an idea it always was because like moving us into the Vintaggio suites maybe would have saved them a, a little bit of money, but the fact that, you know, it was illegal for the equity rules and we had to re- re- the actors through a revolt they had to move them into another they had to move all of us into another hotel and to do that after we had already been in San Diego must have been so much more expensive for them mm-hmm. it's all these like little shortcuts they tried to take that uh, ultimately ended them costing them more it's really a lot like a fire festival when you think about oh, it wow. you know that's, like these guys had an idea they they tr- they sold it to everybody they could, you know, the people involved, the people they were trying to sell it to, and but they didn't have all the pieces in place, and then they just figured they could do it on the fly, and they didn't have the funding, even though they were self-funding it, so they did have the funding, they just didn't want to spend the money. Well, and one of the other big red flags for me I, during our initial time in San Diego getting the show ready was, you know, anytime you do a tour, whether... Uh, whether it's a small band or something bigger than that, um, especially if it's like a theater show, the town is normally painted with different like promotions and like billboards and just signs everywhere. There's like commercials on TV and that's that's like how people know that a big show is going on with all these really talented in New York, like actors, musicians and crew without like painting the town and i remember walking around being like there's nothing out here there's there's no promotion and it was like they didn't even have a promotion budget and i remember them asking us at one time like to go around and pass out flyers and put up flyers (laughs) and it was like wait 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 wait. that's that's literally not (laughs) our job i mean and if you're asking us to do that like it's like uh, one of those dinner theater gigs where you're acting and you're also like serving the tables. And r- stuff. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, you know, I always tell up and coming bands when they ask me for like, who should I hire first, an agent or a manager? And I say, no, hire a promoter first. Mm, yeah. like, you really want to get yourself out there. Your promotion team, especially nowadays with how many things can take another person's like, attention. Yeah. I mean, promoting is a huge aspect of, of any success that comes from theater or shows and there seem to be like barely no. any yeah I noticed, I noticed that over here too in, in la because you know mm. of course they were coming to the saban theater which is literally down the street from where i live mm. and um, <clears throat> there was no promotion when i was telling my friends you know you got to come you know and they were like i, I hadn't 
what is this? You know, I never saw anything about this. There was a listing on the Saban website, but it was like the whole, like the whole ticket situation, all of it was strange. You know, it's, really strange. Yeah, really strange. And I did have some people that ended up buying some tickets, which, of course, as we all know in the production, the LA run got canceled. Yeah. So, you know, all those people did get their money back, but that was also like, I mean, for me, I've just been doing this a long time, and that was just not a good thing for my my career. Right. Like, yeah, that hurt you personally. And well, it did. I know. I don't want to sound like I'm some. You know, not not everybody knows me or something like that. It's just that I I. Well, they will I, after this podcast. <laughs> I have set up a name for myself in the music scene out here yeah. in LA since I am from here, born and raised, and, and been doing this a long time out here. And I was just, you know, pushing this show and, and wanting to get everybody I could from, mm -hmm. you know, all the different projects I've been involved in and come on and I'm going to be in this show too. I have a part, you know, and, yeah. and then it just like gets canceled and it's, and, and then I, then everybody's come, what, what happened? What's going And then I have to like explain. Right. And, of course. Yeah. Geez. That was very awkward. And I was not happy about that. Yeah. I remember in the theater that we performed in, in in San Diego is like in a sort of shopping complex and it's like an underground theater. But the only the only poster for our show was like on the window of that theater. And I have a picture of my cell phone where like the picture, the the poster is like falling down <laughs> and it's next to like these two posters for like local shows. One of them is called Bear Spray, which I guess is like. <laughs> A gayer version of Hairspray, and then the other one was Beach Town, which um, I, we watched a YouTube video for where I, I don't even know what it's about, but the video was like, Beach Town, life is a beach for us. <laughs> and they were outselling uh, us. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> now that was that was disappointing. I was scouring social media uh, and the and the internet for any press I could, you know, to yeah. see what's going on with that. And I, then I started having my doubts when I didn't see what Brian was saying. I didn't see the you know the typical promotion you would see for e even a smaller production like this, you know. Yeah. Um, and that poster you're talking about, you know, like you said, the theater is downstairs, the one in yeah. San Diego. Yeah. So. You can't even see that poster from where people are walking around in the shopping center. Yeah. So, you know, and even my friends in San Diego, they're like, what? There's a play? What? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because yeah. I have friends in San Diego and, you know, they, they end up coming and everything, but they had heard nothing about it, didn't see anything on their social media, didn't see anything in the local papers, didn't see any posters, didn't see any flyers, nothing. Yeah. yeah. And again it's like it was our two producers and our company manager bill that kept reassuring us even through all these little mm. doubts like okay i had nothing to do with that i asked for them for this and it was just constantly passing blame and being like oh we reassure you that it's going to be fine yeah. and you know we had so much faith in all of the cast and crew and like musicians that we were like okay you know i I, I hope you're not shooting yourself in the foot. Like yeah. that would be like insane to think that I was actually right about this and yeah. ended up being right about it. Honestly, like the amazing thing about being involved in this process or just being on this team is like every show we did in San Diego, like 
people went nuts. I mean, yeah. th- those theaters were not packed the way they should have been, but like it was just such a, you know, no, we got good the production with and uh, with the material we had, which the writing was not always that, you know, sharp. It was a little hacky at times, but just the performances and the direction and everything like it was it was something. Mhm. Something. It was special. We all yeah. put I think you know, I took this really personal when uh, it fell apart and, you know, we we weren't able to go and continue with the production. Right. I, t- yeah. I actually took it very personal, which I try not to do in my jobs. But yeah. I think because I, I did put some, some things on hold, I moved some things around. And, you know, we all got very close and we all really wanted to make this a special uh, show yeah. and spent hours and hours practicing and trying to get mm-hmm. things really good and and especially for my solo I tried different things because they were always like they were not very clear they couldn't um explain to me exactly what it was they wanted me to do when they originally said you can do whatever you want you know (laughs) so it was the communication was complicated and uh and that I I just I put 200 percent of my professionalism into this yeah project which i typically do anyway but Mm -hmm. i just gave it a little bit more you know this was the the biggest project i was involved in is as uh compared to other you know tours as far as many you know how many cast members and crew and everything was there was a lot of us wasn't there Uh, Mm -hmm. and you know it just felt like uh the family just like broke up yeah you know, and maybe, maybe I'm too nostalgic about it, but I, I, you know, I really put a lot into my performances, everything I do. And this one was special. And we really, I think we all rose to the occasion yeah. under, under strange circumstances, under communication that wasn't always clear, under writing that was constantly changing. Um, and, and with that, you know, we had a fantastic musical director. He was under stress. He had to constantly change the arrangements, which then we had to constantly, you know, relearn new arrangements. Mm -hmm. They were always being changed. And we, you know, by the time of opening night, you know, we we totally rose to the occasion, man. We could sit, you know, and then just have the the whole rug pulled under us, you know, was, it was really, uh, it was disappointing. Yeah. And I, I actually got to say that to one of the producers on the phone. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm, I'm glad I got to say that to him. But you know, his response was, "Well, you, sh- you're a pro. You should be used to this. You know, wow. things." Wow. Oh, oh, wow. You know, you, these things happen all the time to you. You know, you, oh. things come and it's go. Like, not to say, like, it's like they're not wrong when they say that, but at the same time, what a, what an awful way to respond to something like that that you are clearly responsible for and also things Ugh. like this don't happen all the time yeah you is, know yeah things of this level like there's a lot of little things here and there but things on i on a level like this i i've never felt so offended about how something like fell apart and i mean me too yeah. we were lied to it was very confusing nobody could make any plans well, we and- all put our lives on hold and the initial like offer that came in um, was it was something like it was like five weeks of rehearsal. I actually believe it was six. It was like five or six weeks of rehearsal, a month in San Diego. Uh, um, I think it was like three weeks, weeks in, in L.A. 
And then yeah. we were going to go to Israel for two months. And With a possibility of an extension. Yeah, and the extension was the thing they always talked about, like extending in Israel and maybe bringing it to like, a different country and all of this stuff and extending into a much bigger like world tour. So, I mean, we're talking like right off the bat, a good five, six months Yeah. Like of what this was going to be. Yeah. And I am. So let me uh, fill in uh, the listeners what sort of happened in the chain of events when this thing fell apart. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, some of the fun memories from the tour because it was it wasn't all bad. It was really, you know, oh, it, was all, it was all really good. It yeah. Was just, yeah. The other side. The yeah. Business. That's that's what hurt about it was yeah, that it was, it was really a super lot fun. of fun. Yeah. Like I made some friends for life, like I was saying, and not yeah. just like musician friends and actor friends but like backstage friends that mm -hmm. were like working on wardrobe working in the crew working on tech and all of this other stuff and i mean it was just like there weren't anybody in there that had like malicious intent and didn't give everything that they could except for our three guys at the top you know yeah. and Anyway, yeah, I'll let you fill them in with oh, right. opening night. Um. So here's what happened. <laughs> so we've been rehearsing the show for a month in New York. Um, finally, we arrive in San Diego three weeks before opening night, which is pretty typical because what you have to do uh, is tech the show in the actual theater and also put the finishing touches on it. Um, that's not what happens when you go city to city. If you're on a longer tour, you don't need uh, three weeks of tech in the new theater, you only need a couple days. But um, since this was our first stop on the tour, we were going to do most of the tech there. Since we hadn't really performed on the stage with all the equipment and stuff like that. Um, so as I mentioned, we get off the plane and they fly us to, or they uh, put us in cabs over to the Vintaggio Suites, which we <laughs> arrive at. Um, and it's, just the name of that is like yeah i know <laughs> it's fun to say the vintage suites um and you know we show up in the courtyard and there's a bunch of like 20 some somethings like smoking weed and stuff like that you know uh which was great yeah um and not only were like the cast and crew there, like they put our creatives there too. The Rick Fox, you know, our, our veteran music director was supposed to live in this dormitory and you know, it was ridiculous. So over the course of the next day or two, um, we're like having meetings. We're always getting together all the time. We start this group chat via text that we're constantly, you know, um, on like just venting and, and stuff. Um, and, uh, we go to pick up instruments and the instruments aren't any good. We're supposed to have these cars so that we can sort of, you know, get to and from the gig and like also explore the areas and stuff. And, and the rental cars aren't available because nobody made the rentals, you know, nobody took care of that. All this, all this stuff. Meanwhile, um, we're in the theater all day teching the show and, um, you know, talking about all this all these warning signs and some of the actors are watching the ticket sales in LA via an app or something like that and people realize they're not selling tickets and um, all this tension is building and everybody's kind of like freaking out about whether we're gonna have jobs or not and so our star Josh Young eventually says okay we need to get an answer from this right away um, we're going to talk about it today or we're not going to do the show. So, something to that effect. Um, and this was supposed to be our opening night. 
So uh, Bill Mead uh, flew in. I, I guess he was going to fly in for opening night anyway, but to sort of sit us down and talk and tell us what was happening. And what he says is that L.A. is canceled. They weren't selling tickets, and they were worried that if the Israeli producers came to L.A. and saw that they weren't selling tickets, then the Israeli portion of the tour wouldn't happen. Now, we probably discovered later that this was bullshit and that the Israeli producers were really our producers. They just, you know, didn't want to accept blame by themselves. Um, But L.A. was canceled. We weren't being paid for it because we hadn't signed contracts for L.A. yet. But don't worry. Everybody's still going to Israel. You know, we love this production. We want you guys all in Israel. Um... And, uh, you know, and just keep an ear out for, for what's going to happen. Mm. And, and it was, uh, this meeting was with everybody involved. Yeah, and right before, like, open, the, literally right before the first show. Literally an hour before yeah. opening show. Literally That's an hour. Preparation, good mental I, I remember <laughs> just like being a good 30 minutes into this meeting and just walking out. Right. Yeah. Just yeah. standing up and being like, I, mean, I can't to, listen. I can't listen too. to this guy saying like, oh, you, I, blah blah blah. You, uh, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. And it's like you're the company manager, dude. That's yeah. like that literally is your thing. Yeah. It's your it's your job. And thinking like, oh, if they weren't promoting in the city that we're sitting in, and it's opening night, right? Exactly. I doubt there's one flyer in L.A. Yeah. So the the question of was LA ever even going to happen? It yeah. like immediately came to mind. Yeah, and well, because I did see it on the website, and I did have friends buy tickets, but yeah. there, yeah, it it didn't last long. Well, it's all part of their smoke and mirror show because really all they were concerned about was Israel and like doing this West Coast tour was really just to like say to the Israel people like, look, it's touring on the West Coast. People love this show. Like it, it was all fire festival it's all mm-hmm. instagram models mm-hmm. you know like it has no they don't worry about the reality of it oh and there's one more crucial detail i forgot to mention from this meeting is when bill told us that we were all going to israel he said no like i want to tell you the truth here which is weird at this point to say mm-hmm. this one part um what we're trying to do in israel is create something like the blue man group that runs for a long time so we're going to bring you out for this month or whatever which is already less than it was supposed to be mm-hmm. and then our goal is to replace everybody with israeli actors and local people and it's like what yeah i that's the plan yeah after this whole time of like we're gonna make this a whole world tour and bring it back to broadway and I, it was like, wait, so like, this is that's not gonna happen, and we're right. just gonna basically be training our own replacements. Yeah, and right again, fire festival. Yeah, like, <laughs> promised. You know, fancy meals. You get there, it's ham and cheese sandwiches. That's what they were. That's what they were selling with the cheese and the wrapper still. Right. <laughs> um. So we perform opening night, and it's we kill it. Everybody does their job, and it's fantastic. Um, and for the, how many weeks did we perform? It's, it's like three weeks, maybe? It was like four weeks. Well, it, it was, was month, like five. Yeah, it was a whole month. And after I think we the fir- like Yeah, the, I, oh, I guess so. Oh, it was like, a, I think it was like three weeks after opening yeah. night is what you mean. Yeah. yeah. So for the three weeks that we're in San Diego performing this show, like giving it our all every night, 
Um, we still don't receive contracts for Israel. We're still in the same like sort of waiting that we've been doing this whole time of just like, is this happening? Like what's going on? Like gossiping with each other about what we've heard here or there. Um, and we get to closing night in San Diego and we still don't know if Israel is happening. Some of us don't have plane tickets home. You know, a lot of us had sublet our apartments, you know. Um, you don't so, have a place to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I ended up staying on the road for a couple extra weeks after the tour just because I had sublet my apartment. And I was like, you know, I'm going to just enjoy myself and have a little adventure. Um, but, Came here? Yeah, I we went to Magic Castle. <laughs> it was <right>. great. <laughs> um. Yeah. So basically, after closing night, little by little, um, we get these emails popping into our inbox from Bill saying, sorry. Oh, that's what he says. I just found out um, they're not taking you to Israel. You know, sorry, whatever, like a couple sentences. And also the implication that he just found out, which is not true. Um, and little by little, basically everybody got fired. Um, everybody in the production, all the creatives, you know, the director, the choreographer, the music director, and then all the actors, all the musicians, except for our two stars, Josh Young and Esther Rada. And Esther quit right away because she's got a lot of integrity. I mean, so does Josh, but it was super cool of Esther to quit. Um, and they bring, they, they brought two understudies to the, to the leads. Um, and we were all replaced. They cut the cast down though quite a bit. From yeah. Them. And they hired Israeli, uh, yeah. Israeli artists. I, I, I just, I remember getting a message in like, with not even like the beginning of the sentence capitalized saying, um, we, we can't financially afford to have you and out there and, uh, thanks for your service. Appreciate it. Right. And that, it was just like, wait, 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 wait. That's how you're going to break yeah. this to me? I also got two emails from Bill on uh, one, uh, like on a Monday saying, sorry, I just found out we can't take you. You know, thanks. And then one like a week later saying, oh, sorry, we just found out we can't take you. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> it, it was it was one of those that, like I remember thinking, OK, I there's a lot of me that has to question where you, my values stand right now, where even if they had said, we want you to come on this, the way they had mistreated and just dropped so right. many people. You would I, have had to really consider it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, the, just the whole contract tidbit that what they kept stringing us along with is like, it's being extended and we're working out that. So we can't like actually get you to sign that even though, and, and, you know, our initial contract was like, at least through, um, LA and then the Israel one was the one that was being extended. And that's one of the big lessons that I learned, like talking to some legal people after this was that, you know, that like they were trying to make promises that they knew they probably weren't going to keep. Right. And I mean, oh, you know, why? do that my question is why even do that you know why even do that yeah, yeah. i'm with you the, the the payoff is not you know you never win doing that maybe you don't lose as much but it's like 
you know, these people have to know that their re- reputation is garbage. You know, they can try to do this again with another bunch of people that, you know, don't know the industry. But ultimately, that means that they're pulling from a less established talent pool and, you know, they're going to have more problems. They are. Yeah. I think they're probably done with the, this production. And- I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. Janet, did you hear that they tried to do a like <laughs> promo video of their Israel show in New York um, a couple of months ago? No. What happened? Um, they. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, Eric um, found like found a a posting about it in like one of those um, apps that tells you about cool things about town. You know. Yeah. Um, Eric Greengold, who was uh, one of the actors on our show. Um, and he shared it with the group chat and basically, um, it was, uh, a filmed version of the Israel show and they were doing a showing of it at some hotel for like potential investors or something. And Brian went, Oh, I, yeah. Second he did? I, yeah. Oh, I, the second I got this and I, it was awesome. <laughs> Oh yeah, I and I was chat. like busy doing something that night, and I was like, "No, nope, those plans just got canceled." Because I'm gonna go over and like. Were they there? Did they see you? Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, oh, what happened? Oh, so so I go over there because I want to see what this is and get like some document like, documentation of what they're doing there, and um. Basically, it was like a closed um, showing of a of the uh, Soul Doctor movie, and I just kind of went in. Like I was just distinctly we got there like ten minutes late, so that I could go up to the guy and be like, "Hey, sorry, I'm in a rush. Like I, I they get downstairs. You know, my fiance sitting in there, and they yeah. were like." Oh yeah, sure. Go ahead. It was so easy. And <laughs> <laughs> so I go down there and I just kind of walk my way into this like dark movie theater that had probably like 40 people in it and they play the entire show. I, and I'm, I'm sure this, without getting permission yeah. from the proper people as well, well. I'm on the group text texting all the people and saying, uh, and Josh eventually said, you know, this is going to be like a small snippet to like promote it. And he had been guaranteed that it wouldn't be the full show. And like with lots of contract stipulations behind this, but they blatantly ignored those because they knew he wouldn't be there. So I got some video of him showing the whole show and he basically is like taking it into his own hands to do something about it with them. And I haven't heard how that played out, but I definitely like, they all know that I was there because they saw me afterwards. Mm. And I mean, <laughs> I, okay. I'll, I'll just say it. I, I'll just say it because I have no interest in working with Bill Mead again because yeah. he, and I'll read a quote about him. I, I saw Bill when I walked, when he walked outside because I was just staying there waiting. And I said, Hey, Bill. And he turns around and looked at me quizzically. And I like took my hat off and said, what? You don't recognize me? Oh. It's Brian. And I just had to say, you're kind of a piece of shit, dude. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, oh, and so, so when someone calls you a piece of shit, I, you, I, there are a lot of different ways you can react to that. Right. But the way he did it, he shrugged his shoulders and looked at me kind of like, what can I do? And That's, it was like, it was almost an acknowledgement right. of like, 
I am a piece of shit. No, I'm, <laughs> he didn't argue with it. Just shrugged his shoulders and walked in the other direction. And uh, <laughs> and it was just like, w- just wow. Just and I, you know, I ran into Bill too in January at yeah. the yeah, I mean, same, yeah. same kind of thing. He was he was trying to be nice to me, and he's like, I I couldn't do. I, my hands were tied. Well, yeah. I when I had posted something about this that, um, I it was uh, someone wrote about someone wrote to me, um, I'm afraid to ask, is Bill Mead still attached to this show in any way? He was on the original, and the contractor who sent out um and the contractor who sent out sent me out worldwide for most of my touring life. He's also widely known as a walking disaster sociopath. <laughs> this situation smells like a Bill Mead production. And this is before I had even mentioned his name. Right. So then I had said, uh, yeah, it is. And he wrote, oh, my, I see I smelled it. <laughs> I see I smelled it. I know that stench. Yeah. The union knows Bill very, very well. I could write a book about the shit he has done around the world. Yeah. He's smart, but don't believe a word he tells you. Get a lawyer. Get a hold of your book. You might want to talk to someone. I knocked the mic over. But yeah, basically the whole point was like, you know, I and that's that's kind of why I wanted to come on and do this because they're this guy and these two producers, Danny and David, have been pulling like have been like really hurting musicians for a very long time. What are they doing? this production what's going on now well that's the big question who knows knows what they were promoting it for but the fact that they were saying um we don't have any money we don't we can't put you in good housing we can't do this we can't afford the run if you had seen the quality of the video that they took wow they had probably like five or six cameras in that like high def cameras like on swivels taking high def videos of um of that run and it was like i mean we're talking lots of money put into just that video production yeah was it different than our show it, yes it, it was but it wasn't it were there were parts of it i mean that were different but there were parts they basically kind of just said like wow yeah we're just gonna steal that intellectual intellectual property right but then i and there was a lot of it that just kind of lost a lot of the feel because um, one of the producers, David, was it, uh, directing it, and right. there was a question of whether that was the intention the whole time yeah. to create this like great product and then have him just like quote be the director of this thing and basically like build a product up and then get rid of a lot of the people that did the product and then he can just kind of direct it. But the way, the little changes that he made to it made it a very impersonal story and just like I, I don't know it it felt very different and very different from what we were doing because we wanted to have like a kind of sense of community about it but this one was just kind of glorifying um, Shlomo in a way that was disingenuous and I mean smaller cast too yeah, yeah. well they couldn't cast. they couldn't get actors to to fill it out I mean. I've only talked a little bit about it with Tony, Tony White, who is uh, one of the actresses that went over there. And, you know, basically they said, you know, once they got there, they couldn't find the actress to fill out the show. So they were calling back to New York to get whoever they fucking could, like not, mm-hmm. you know, no vetting. Like they had like just friends of the actors who were there come like Josh's wife 
got a part. Not, you know, she's a, a great actress, but like, you know, like obviously they're just like, hey, can you help us out? Can you ha- can like it's like a community production, just like whoever they can grab to like fill out the roles. Mm-hmm. Janet, didn't you also say when you spoke with Danny, this was sort of my understanding is that the producers actually didn't like the show that we did. They didn't like the directing decisions that Gabe made. That and is, that's what I was told. Yeah. That's I what I thought too. That, I was told that by Jeremy. They were not happy with the direction of the, of, of the show. And uh, as far as I, my thing, you know, I was supposed to go out into the audience with the guitar and lead the band. And, and I was told that from the beginning. And I, I'm like, yeah, like I do yeah. that already. So, you know, but then when Gabe came on, he had a slightly different version of it and he wanted to do something different. So who, who do I follow? Yeah. You know, I'm following Gabe. He's the director. Yeah. I mm-hmm. said, you know, you hire me for a job. I follow who tells me what to do. If you were not happy with Gabe's direction, uh, the way certain things were going, uh, you know, with the show itself and in regards to my part, why, why didn't you change it? I mean, the, the whole thing is weird. You know, yeah. it's like you're the producer. You're the man who's paying, you know. Right. It's so, also smart for producers to trust your director because you are not a director. You know, yeah. like Gabe no, is a professional. I, He's very I, good at it. You are yeah. not. No, and I I kept checking and double checking. Is my solo part okay? Is this what you're looking for? Is this what you want? I can change it. I can do this and that. I even sent Jeremy a private video, separate one, you know, showing him what I was going to do. And he's like, oh, this this is great. You know, I'm sure that there's going to be a a place for you in the Israeli production. Yeah. And he saw it, said that to me in San Diego. Yeah. And so when the whole thing was going down, I was like, well, maybe I'm, I'm still okay. Maybe I'm still safe um, with this. Although I wasn't happy about how everything was going down on, um, I wasn't sure I actually wanted to go. Uh, yeah. So, right. but uh, in the end, no, you know, no, you know, it's like not taking me, not, you know, uh, wasn't happy with um, the fact that I hadn't gone out and led the, the whole pre-show thing with guitar songs. And I'm like, I, that's easy for me to do. Why didn't somebody tell me to do that? Right. I mean, I'm doing my job. I'm doing what's told of me. Yeah. I, I brought it up too. And I'm, I said, you just tell me what to do. I do whatever, whatever you want, man. Yeah. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's a blame game. And yeah. yeah, Then when he finally, yeah, said to me, well, you should be used to this. I was like, you know what? Oh, I can't believe that. And, and then he said at the same time, he said, you know, we're getting really good um, feedback on the Israeli. Uh, the, the Israelis are really excited about the new production. I'm like, why are you even telling me this, Jeremy? It's, it's actually hurting my feelings. Are you trying to hurt my feelings? Yeah. No. I mean, I got very, you know, straight with them. Yeah. And, uh, because it just the whole thing was just a, a real disaster. So, you know, whatever happens with that production happens, but yeah, I'm not, I, I advise people to yeah, stay. I mean, I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for it. I'd like to, you know, say something and, you know, make a big scene if they try to do it again and warn people about it. Um, but uh, we have a, a limited amount of time left. I'd like to sort of talk about some of our favorite moments from tour, if I can. Janet, were you involved with the April Fool's prank at all? 
I can't remember. Probably not if I can't remember. <laughs> oh, that um, was great. All right. Well, this is one of my favorite moments on tour. Basically, uh, on April 1st, um, you know, all the all the men are in one dressing room. The women are in another dressing room. I wasn't involved in this. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Um, so when we got back from lunch, there was makeup on all of the men's dressing room tables. And I guess the stage manager came in and said, uh, Gabe wants to see you all with eyeliner and blush on for this next scene. (laughs) Yeah. And everyone was like, what? That's really weird, but okay. You know, I guess we should do that. And so all the actors put on their blush and like eyeshadow and stuff (laughs) and they come out on stage and we we rehearsed for like a good, you know, at least like 45 minutes. Like they're just like doing their scenes and like n- nobody says anything. And then all of a sudden, um, Gabe says into the God Mike, he says, hey, can we get the house lights on? And the lights go on. It's like, can we get all the men to the front of the stage? And everybody comes up and Gabe kind of takes a beat. And then he says, why are you guys all wearing makeup? And they're like, well, they're told, the stage manager told them. And then, like, all the girls in the cast go, April Fools. And it was a, it was a good prank. It was a solid prank. That's ladies. a solid prank. Yeah. yeah. No, I, they told me about it later. I was, yeah. Yeah. I was, <laughs> yeah. Brian and I were, were spared from the prank because we were musicians. Oh, I think was... they just couldn't afford to buy enough makeup for. <laughs> I like to think that they just liked us that much. Yeah, maybe. That's possible. <laughs> I, I, what I loved, um, and the, and that's the thing. There were so many things that it, like to love about this that I I don't want to downplay that like there weren't a lot of great times and a lot of great people. I just want to keep repeating that because that's what kind of made this hurt a lot. And mm. um, you know, our pre-show like um yeah routine I was, was talk about the pre-show too. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> well, um, you go ahead. It, it was like it was all just um i would be one of the first people out on stage and like the whole thing was like a hippie communal type of thing and they would let us just improvise whatever we want and do whatever we want on stage and just i mean there were i think what five or six different people playing guitar in this maybe even more like and just in the show in general so there were all these guitars around and i had all this percussion equipment that mm-hmm. people were had around and we would just sit there and jam and like, not even feel like the audience was there. And there's. We went into it. Yeah, yeah, we went into it. And like, just, it, it was just, it brought the whole room together and the vibe. And, and like, you were so ready to do this show specifically because yeah. like of the vibe that we said at the beginning. And I just remember always looking forward to being like, all right, what, what, what's it going to be this time? It's always going to be something cool and different and just a little jam session to loosen everybody up and like get the, the vibe of love, peace and happiness going yeah. before we did the show. And I, I loved doing that. <laughs> I, Janet, do you I have loved, a memory you want to share? That too. Um, I, I, I absolutely loved all the music that we were playing. I thought Rick Fox's arrangements were, were beautiful mm-hmm. and I learned a lot, you know, it, it was a rock band, but it was a little different than the situations I've done in my professional career. I loved playing with you guys. I, I yeah. mean it. Um, you were also patient with me. <laughs> oh, come on. Wait, wait, what chord is that? <laughs> you know, and I thought that Rick also really brought out uh, all of our, our unique talents and, and let us let us do our thing, you know. And I thought that was super cool, you know. And um, 
let me go up there and do my rock and roll guitar thing, you know, and then I enjoyed switching from guitar, uh, acoustic to electric and such a variation in the music and, and in the uh, arrangements. It was really, um, I had to concentrate and focus quite a lot on stage. And I, I actually enjoyed that part. Uh, and I, I just enjoyed watching all the amazing talent on stage, especially Josh and his like, just fantastic mm -hmm. voice. Yeah. And so I personally enjoyed the work. I enjoyed yeah. every day. Every day we had to get up and it was like, oh, we're going to play tonight. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah. Know? It was so much fun just being in the, like, the, yeah. the playing mode. I loved that part. It was just so much fun being on stage, too, and like being closer to like, personality and mentally and emotionally to the actors than like most anything I'd done before besides hair. Yeah. And oh and Janet, your blind guitarist scene always <laughs> always made me crack up. Yeah. It was always great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I I felt good about um, you know, getting better as the show went on. I mm. got more and more comfortable with the acting part. And and you know, uh by the end of it, you know, I was just like, wow, you know, I just did some acting on stage. I'd never really done that, mm. you know. <laughs> Um, and that was that was really fun too. But I I enjoyed the whole show, the whole teamwork of it all, with so many parts and pieces. It ended up moving like a real solid, smooth machine. We had that shit down, yeah. and we we were so ready to to we could have taken it to Broadway, no problem. Yeah, you know, we could have taken it to a bigger stage and, and on a bigger level. Um, and, and of course I enjoyed the general hang with all you guys after yeah, shows yeah. and just getting to know everybody. I mean, that was, that was great. That's why we do what we do, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, Taylor guitar tour. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, Janet took us on a tour of the, or Janet knows the, uh, the president of Taylor or what's his, uh, you know, I've been endorsed by them yeah. for many years and I, I know the artist rep there and yeah. he's like, ah, let's go out to lunch. Let's bring your company to the to the um down to to corporate and you can yeah. have a tour of the factory yeah, and we got to see how the sausage is made <laughs> oh oh another but, thing i have to mention here yeah. too was um they i had to get a set of vibes for me out there mm -hmm. I mean, you don't fly with vibes right. and vibraphone just to put that out there so not the only thing i'm actually talking about Anyways, um, <laughs> so right. yeah, yeah, we uh, we had to get a vibraphone out there, and the one that they rented coincidentally was they rented it from a guy that just lived in the area and was working on the show, and he's like, I got a set of vibes, and turns out that set of vibes was used on the Beach Boys Pet Sounds album. You saying that? That's so cool. Oh, and I was just like, oh my god, I'm I'm like touching a piece of like rock history. I. Like, oh, I was just like the chills every time I got to play that. I mean, like, this is in pet sounds. That's awesome. <laughs> like, that that probably was the coolest part. Like, all the other things were cool, but yeah. I play on the vibes from pet sounds. Oh, my God. That's going to be on my resume till I die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Janet, I, I know you have to go. Um, so I we're going to we're going to wrap it up. Um, thank you so much for. I just want to oh, say go one. Yeah, go ahead. Thing. You know, the the debacle of it all and the business side and, and all of that, and I just want to reiterate kind of what Brian's saying as well, and I think what we all feel is that that's kind of a blip in the whole thing. Right. You know, it didn't work out or whatever, but 
hey, we made new friends. We had this amazing experience. I'm sure we all learned a lot in all kinds of ways. I certainly did with everything, including mu music, music stuff. And you never stop learning, you know, yeah. how to play music well, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the whole teamwork thing. And that was all worth the other shit that happened. Absolutely. That was mm -hmm. way yeah. more worth it to me than all the other bullshit. I think so, a lot of musicians sort of fear the idea of working in a show that's the same every night. But I have to say, it was so amazing to watch everyone go out there and do, you know, do their the thing. same, do it every night. But like to see them invested in every moment and just like sort of discovering their emotions or their character on the spot and just making these subtle little shifts to keep it interesting for themselves. Um, it was really amazing and a and beautiful thing to be a part of. I loved every minute of it. I didn't love the, you know, the business part yeah. of it being, you know, all screwed up, but I, I, I love you guys. I love everybody in it. And who knows when all of our paths will cross again. You never yeah. know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'll definitely be out to LA again. And, you know, Janet, you've become kind of a uh, mentor of mine of sorts. And I appreciate you helping me learn about the, the industry and what to look out for and uh, who to who to talk to and things like that. Happy to do so. Yeah. My son, my son, happy to do so. <laughs> You're amazing, Janet. So yeah. great to hear your voice. Yeah. You guys are too. You, you take care. Can't wait till this comes out and, and uh, appreciate uh, you asking me to do it. Absolutely. All right. And, stranger, and Brian, don't yeah. be a stranger. Oh, definitely, definitely. I, I'm gonna try and make a West Coast trip sometime soon, so we'll definitely come get together at some yeah. point. We way overdue. Also, I just want to congratulate Brian. He just got fucking engaged like a week ago. That's yeah. crazy. What? Mm -hmm. Oh, you didn't know? I just got engaged in Puerto Rico. Oh my God! Wow. Yeah, I'm engaged to an incredible woman that runs a music school and does artwork that's made out of like old cut-up sheet music. Um, her her Instagram handle is Lexicon of Love. Ooh. I throw that little prom like oh yeah shameless promo in oh, there. Oh yeah. But also, if you guys have anything you want to promote, please uh, chime in. Oh well, my my band you were discussing earlier, the four-piece uh, all guitar band. We just finished a, a new. As you said, we do have some covers, but right. um, we did this one in particular because of the Rocket Man movie. Got we got inspired oh, cool. uh, to do a cover of Rocket Man, mm. um, a real unusual one, and um, we just uh, finished it. It's getting mixed, and we're going to be coming out with a new video of it. Awesome. So cool! Just to keep how, us, how can like, people find it? Yeah, keep eye out the string the stringrevolution.com. Got it. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right. Well, Brian, anything? Oh, I I just hope that this like goes to show that you know if you're a musician out there, right, you gotta yeah. like a know a lot of stuff about just keep your business side tight, and b if you've been through a tough situation before that was similar to this or different or something like that, it's really easy to feel down about that and to feel really hurt. And I I definitely was what like right after it happened. Mm -hmm. But this conversation and just the when I think back on it, I remember the good times and I remember how much great how many great things like Janet was saying came out of this. So if you've been like screwed over as a musician, I know it might feel like the end of the world, but that is like there there are two sides to every single coin and i guarantee that eventually you'll be able to look back on it and find some good out of it like i certainly do with this yeah 
see. I mean, that's the way it is in this business anyway. You know, you always learn things. It's a whole fucking journey, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Perseverance <laughs> is the key. Yeah. And we do it because we love what we do, and we're we're lucky for, for, that, for that. And for anybody who, you know, gets down on the fact that the music industry is not what it used to be, like, I encourage you to go to, go to NAMM and, like, just see how many people are there making new products and just so excited about music. Like you can find inspiration all over the place and, uh, you know, keep, it's true. yeah, keep, keep, keep on keeping on musicians. It's, yeah. it's a, it's keep a on being rad rocks. Yeah. 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 Rad rockin'. All right. Well, thank <laughs> you so much for listening. This was between the gigs. Uh, thanks again to Janet and Brian and, uh, hope to have some new shows for you all soon. Woo! Take care. Thank you, Fender. Thank you, Aguilar. Thank you, thank you, DR. And Radial. Love you guys. Um, follow Like Minds Trio at Like Minds Trio on Instagram. At Marty Eisenberg on Instagram. Message me. Tell me things. Tell me dirty little things. Tell me about what kind of podcast you want to hear. Tell me who would you like me to interview. I'd love to make more of these podcasts, so it's great to hear from everyone. Have a wonderful whatever time it is, and a pleasant the next time it will be.